so we're going to do something this morning that we do occasionally, um, and I'd like to do it more often, so we're, we're doing it today, which is have a Q&R after um, the message. And so the way that works is if you have any questions about the text, any questions about what I say, um, anything that comes up, maybe t- totally unrelated questions, um, you can text them to that phone number. That'll be up on the screen periodically. And that goes to a, uh, that goes to a cell phone that is, um, doesn't have any contacts in it, so you'll be anonymous. Um, and uh, I'll do my best to respond to some of those questions when we get done. Uh, and the reason we want to do that is because I think, I think stuff happens when we gather and the Spirit works and moves and speaks. And, and sometimes, sometimes He brings stuff to mind that you want to like dig at a little bit more. And for whatever reason, it's, it's scary to walk up and have a conversation after church. And, um, and that's okay. And so if, if you feel like you want to ask something and you want to be unknown in your question, uh, here's an opportunity to do that. So at any time, just text that number with a question, and when we get done, we'll look over a few of them. So uh, this text uh, is super popular, right? Everybody who's been in the church for a while, and even people that haven't been in the church kind of know this idea of Jesus walking on the water, um, it's a pretty um, well-known story. And what I want to look at this morning is two different kinds of people. There are uh, fans of Jesus, and then there are followers of Jesus. And they're different. Followers are not fans. When I was, um, uh, last several years before I uh, stepped away from it to, to be a part of this church plant, I worked at the Salvation Army Croc Center here in Coeur d'Alene, and I managed the event space there. And so from time to time, famous people would come by. And there was a, there's a yearly Christmas event called Traditions of Christmas. And one year, Patty Duke was playing a role. She lived here before she passed away. And Patty Duke's cool, but Patty Duke's son, Sean Astin, came to visit. And some of you might know him as Rudy uh, or Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. He's like a real famous actor person. And, he, and I got to meet him. And he, was, he stood in the sound booth with us and watched the show, watched his mom in the show. And, and he seemed like a nice guy. And people found out that I got to meet Sean Astin, or there's pictures on, on Facebook of the, you know, the like, look, it's Sean Astin backstage at the Croc Center. And, and people get really excited about that. Like, oh, what's he like? Is he nice? Does he have giant feet? Like, no, he doesn't. Um, but we kind of geek out on that, and we get really excited about famous people. And I have to imagine last week when, when John was talking about the feeding the 5,000, I have to imagine that day was kind of like that. There's thousands of people, 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people total out on this plane. They've been listening to this amazing teacher who does these miraculous signs teach. And it's dinner time. And Jesus says, hey, guys, feed these people. And they're like, all we have is lunch. What are we going to do with that? And, and he starts breaking this bread 
in little pieces, but it never gets smaller. It's just more and more bread. And he gives it to the disciples and he says, go out into the crowds and feed these people. And, and I just, I feel like, you know, 2,500 people deep into that crowd, Matthew's got a basket of bread and fish going like, here, this is from Jesus. You know Jesus? What's he like? Is he as nice in person as he seems from a distance? Well, here's some free food from him. Wow, that's so cool. And people kind of geek out on famous people. And I was there when, or I got to meet that guy. But following Jesus is very different than being a fan of Jesus. And I want to look at three reasons why I think that's the case. And the, and the first one is followers can be disappointed. Followers can be disappointed. Look at verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. See, followers can be disappointment because sometimes Jesus seems distant. Like Jesus, Jesus isn't there. The 12 are in a boat at night. We're going to see that Storm's going to kick up, and it just isn't fun, and Jesus isn't there. We learn from Mark's gospel that Jesus can see, is on the mountain, and he can see them on the lake, and I don't know if that's some kind of supernatural vision that he's been given, or if the moonlight is shining on the lake, and he can see the little boat down there. But he's with them, sort of. But from Peter's perspective, from John's perspective, from Matthew's perspective, Jesus isn't there. Jesus sent us away. And see, as a fan, I don't ever really think, man, I really miss Sean Astin. I wish he'd hang out with me today. Because that's just not part of the kind of relationship that I have with Sean Astin. Because I'm a fan. But for these men who are following Jesus, they would have been incredibly aware that night that Jesus isn't here. And the second way that followers can be disappointed is that circumstances can be really dark. Look at verse 24. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. It's going badly for them tonight. They're they're rowing across this lake. The wind is not in their favor, so they're using the oars. It's probably raining. It's not a big boat. It's cold. It's wet. It's dark. And the reality is Jesus sent them out into that. Jesus said, go out there. I'll be with you later. And if I'm in that boat, freezing cold, soaking wet with an oar, I'm really bummed out about that. Because see, the last time we saw them in a boat in a storm, Jesus was there and he got up and he rebuked the storm and it quit immediately. He, he just fixed it. And you think, man, Jesus, if you were here right now, you would fix it, but you're not here. When things are going poorly in my life, I don't get upset at Taylor Swift because she said, just shake it off, and it doesn't seem to be working for me because that's not the kind of relationship we have. But for these guys in Jesus, like, Jesus, 
where are you? I have ex- expectations about the kind of relationship we have, and you're not here, and I'm in trouble. See, following Jesus, you can be disappointed. But also, followers of Jesus can be confused as well. Look at verse 25. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Followers of Jesus can be confused because Jesus can look unfamiliar. Like this is... This is one of the things that Jesus does, and I've talked about it before, is he's constantly doing weird things. Like, if you, if you take a look at the Gospels, he's not a normal person. And he, he defies expectations all the time. And it's funny, sometimes as, as Christians, maybe we have a little hard, a hard time with that. I read some commentaries, Christian commentaries, and, and they're like, well, there's a sandbar in the Sea of Galilee, and he was walking out on the sandbar, so the water was only like this deep, and so he wasn't really... And it's like, no, I think, I think he was really walking on the water. Because in a few minutes, Peter's going to walk on the water, and then he's going to sink. And if the water's only a couple inches deep, I'm not sure what Peter's sinking in. So this is a miraculous event. This is, this is a power that Jesus has been given by the Holy Spirit to defy the laws of nature and walk on water. But it's not like Jesus has like a, a sheet of superpowers that everybody knows about. Like, you know... Uh, Captain America's really strong, and he can throw that shield that somehow is also a boomerang, and Iron Man's got missiles in his hands, and, and there's just a list of, we, we know what all these uh, people can do. Jesus is more like Jack-Jack Parr from The Incredibles. Like this baby who's like all of a sudden shooting lasers out of his eyes, and oh, that's his powers, and no, now he's some green goblin, and now he can teleport, and nobody really knows what he's going to do next, because he always does something unique. And so I don't really blame the disciples. They're not expecting Jesus. I can't wait till Jesus gets here. They don't, they're not thinking that way. And they see somebody walking out in the middle of the water. And they think it's a ghost. I don't know what I would have thought it was. <laughs> but I, I get it. This is not where Jesus is supposed to be. There's a guy, um, he passed away this year, named Jean Vanier, uh, who, is a, who is a French Christian. And in the middle of the 20th century, he began to realize how terribly treated um, men and women with mental handicaps were in Europe. And he started forming communities um, for the disabled uh, called uh, La Arche. And the single community kind of sprouted. I think they have hundreds of communities around the world of of just bringing people together with handicaps, mental and physical, and loving them and caring for them. And he writes about this. And one of the things he says is that when you start to spend time with the disenfranchised, with the unfortunate, with those that are outcasts from society, you begin to see Jesus in them. And that's not what you'd expect. You, you see a situation where like, oh, that, that's, that sounds hard. That might be uncomfortable. I don't like that. Maybe it's just weird. 
but you end up seeing Jesus there. And Jesus says that in Matthew 25, that he's talking to his followers at the judgment, and he says, you know, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You visited me in prison and all these things. And they're like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Jesus. When did we do this? And he says, when you cared for the least of these, you were caring for me. And when you follow Jesus, it can be confusing because sometimes it doesn't look like Jesus is where he should be and you find him exactly where you don't think he's going to be. But following Jesus can also be confusing because Jesus' directions can be scary. Look at verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. So, Peter asks for this. He's kind of impetuous. He's kind of, he doesn't really think things through very clearly. But he sees, okay, this, if this is Jesus, and Jesus is walking on the water, I want to come out on the water with Jesus. But a lot of times I hear this kind of thing talked about like, like this is a really cool thing. Like there's a phrase, if you, if you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. Like it's kind of motivational like, come on, take a risk and do something awesome. But, but I'm not so sure that this is awesome. Like, Jesus is, is doing something supernatural. He's doing something amazing. But there's a storm going on. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. It's not any better outside the boat than it is inside the boat. And inside the boat, there's a bottom. Like, if I had a swimming pool, I would swim every day. But I don't, I don't swim in the lake. Do you know what lives in the bottom of Coeur d'Alene Lake? No one knows. It could be anything. It's dark down there. It's scary. And so Peter's like, I'm going to get up out of the boat, the only place that's safe, and I'm going to stand on the water. And that's cool, like amazing, miraculous, but it's still outside of the boat, and it's still windy, and it's still rainy. And if you're walking on the water, your feet are getting wet. It's, it's miserable. But Jesus says, yeah, come on out here. Because Jesus doesn't always ask us to do things that are rational. He doesn't always ask us to do things that are safe. Jesus' call to you and I is not always like, come over here, it will be comfortable. Come over here, there will be snacks. Although we always have snacks. I mean, maybe you're being called to be a missionary in Africa. and the, I mean, the classic, you know, tale of... of of obedience to God, like there's bugs and cannibals and war and whatever else, but I'm going to go anyway. Or maybe you're just being called to have an awkward conversation with a coworker that you know you need to have. And you're like, I don't know. I don't really want to do that. Whatever it is, 
oftentimes Jesus calls us out into things that are super unpleasant. I was talking with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was talking about some of his, his, uh, his church experiences and how he's come to a realization that he could, he could live his life a certain way and he could be comfortable there. But he was saying that God has shown him that he needs to start pursuing things that deliberately make him uncomfortable because that's, that's where Jesus is. And I think that's a powerful statement of discipleship. What does it mean to grow as a follower of Christ? Jesus is often calling us out to things that are uncomfortable and scary and irrational and dangerous. Peter brings it up. Jesus says, yeah, come on out. And he gets out and he starts walking on the water. Followers are different than fans because followers can be disappointed. Followers can be confused, but followers also respond in faith. Verse 30. But when he saw the strength of the wind, Peter, he was afraid and began and beginning to sink, he cried out, "Lord, save me." And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So there's a, there's a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, and he uh, has this framework for understanding our minds. And he calls it the rider and the elephant. And if you imagine a giant elephant with a, a little guy on top with the reins of the elephant, he says, this exists inside all of our minds. And the rider is our rational mind, and the elephant is our emotional mind. And we think that as the, that the rider has the reins and can maneuver the elephant wherever the rider wants the elephant to go, but the reality is the minute the elephant wants to go another direction, all the rider can do is hold on for dear life. My family was in Seattle last two weeks ago, and we went to the Space Needle. And I hadn't been in the Space Needle in years. When I was there, the, the top level was the observation deck, and then there was a restaurant on the second level. They took the restaurant out, and they made this um, rotating deck that's got this strip of carpet around the inside of the spire, and then the rest of the floor going out is all glass. And there's some people that get up there, and, and they think, you know, Thousands of people go to the Space Needle every day. And what would the insurance liability be if this glass broke? And it's really thick glass. And they walk out and they do this and they take pictures of their feet standing on the glass. And I visited Seattle and I saw the Space Needle. And then there's other people that stand up against the back wall like this and go, yeah, this is great. I love the Space Needle. And I saw them. And their rational mind was not in control at that moment, right? They just, they were reflexively going, I am not going out there. I am staying as far away from that. I don't care if you tell me it's safe. I don't care if it looks like it's safe. I don't care if thousands of other people are doing it. I'm not doing it. 
And I feel like in this moment, Peter's elephant takes charge. He's out on the water. He's on the water because if you're, Jesus, if it's you, you can call me out and I can walk on water. I, I trust you. I believe rationally that you have the power to do this. And he does it. But then he sees the power of the wind. He gets scared. His rational mind gives way to, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What if I sink? What if things go badly? What if Jesus can't save me? And he begins to sink. But he says the right thing. He's in trouble and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and catches his hand. And I don't read this as a really strong rebuke. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't, I don't think Jesus is mad. I mean, it is, it is a rebuke, but I, I don't think it's heavy-handed. But the thing about what Peter says is by calling out Lord, save me, he's admitting something about himself. He's admitting that he cannot walk out water. <laughs> he cannot save himself. Like, it'd be a real bummer if, like, all the disciples were like, hey, Peter, you're sinking, and he's just slowly going lower, and like, no, I'm fine. I'm walking on the water. Everything's fine. And, you know, he's up to just his eyeballs, and everything's good, guys. I think sometimes... We can be in denial when we, when, when we don't recognize that, like, this, things are not fine. Things are awful. I am sinking. And responding, Lord, save me, is an admission of that. It's an admission of our own weakness. And that's why so many people refuse to submit to the love of Christ, because it would mean admitting that we're wrong, admitting that we're weak, admitting that we're on the wrong path, we're making the wrong decisions, and we don't want to do that. But Peter, a follower of Jesus, responds in faith and believes that Jesus can save. But then followers also respond in faith that results in worship. Look at 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. To worship means to bow down, to prostrate yourself in front of, to give honor and um, respect to. And it's interesting that this is what it takes for them to worship. They make this statement, truly you are the Son of God. They are um, growing in their relationship with Christ. They're seeing Him a little more clearly. They're knowing Him a little bit better. They watch this go down and their eyes are open just a little bit more. Oh, this is who Jesus is. This is what 
God is like. I, I understand a little bit more. And, and they don't worship him because he kept them out of the storm. They worship him because he got them through the storm. And it's interesting, like, earlier that day, I have to believe was awesome, electric, 10, 20, 25,000 people hanging off the words of Jesus, and these 12 going, yeah, Jesus, we know Jesus, Jesus we're buddies with Jesus, and, and getting to hand out all that food and say, yeah, Jesus made this out of nothing. Isn't that awesome? And, and everybody's freaking out about it, and it's so amazing. And there's all this leftover food that they get to take with them. And I imagine as they first got into the boat not knowing there was a storm coming. They're like, yeah, this was such a great day. Did you see that? I talked to these people and they were so excited and Jesus is so cool. But at the end of that story, nobody worships Jesus. Nobody declares that he's the son of God. Those 20,000 people, they get their meal and they were super excited about it and then they all go home. But after a night of awful rowing in a storm, the 12 of them, the followers of Jesus, they go, oh, I see who you are. Oh, I get it. You're the son of God. And they begin to make this realization that all those other people didn't make. And they saw a miracle But they're all just fans. And they went home and didn't really think about it. But because Jesus allowed these men to go through this storm, to be disappointed, to feel confused, at the end of that, they respond to him and go, oh, I get it. They say, Lord, Peter says, Lord, save me. And the disciples are, you are the son of God. They learn and they grow. Then we get to verse 34. When they had crossed over, the storm's over. It's morning now. They came to the shore at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick, and they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. All right, it's, it's another big Jesus show today, right? Jesus shows up, everybody goes, Jesus is here, and they run and they tell everybody in town, and they go, oh, just let me touch your clothes. Can I just, can I get an autograph? Can we have a selfie? Jesus is so cool. And we get excited about fandom. We get excited about, like, all the throngs of people, and that's a sign of God's blessing and goodness and We think it's really, really important. Who listened to Kanye West's new album this week? Me. <laughs> There's this really amazing dialogue on social media. Is he a Christian now? I think so. He really loves Jesus. That's so cool. And, like, and I was in this conversation, and, 
and uh, with some friends, and, and one of them who's kind of a guy, he, uh, <laughs> he, he, he wrote this big old paragraph about like, well, we'll have to wait and see, and you know them by their fruit, and rah, 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 rah. And I said, lay off. Jesus is my, or Kanye is my new hero, and he gives legitimacy to my faith. <laughs> And I think we think that sometimes, right? Like, if only these powerful people would become Christians, then no one would think Christians are weird anymore. If only these celebrities would proclaim the name of Jesus, people would get saved. (laughs) And we think Jesus needs more fans, right? Jesus needs a bigger social media following. He needs a bigger, better PR firm. But it's the followers that changed the world. The 12 people in that boat that night understood who Jesus was in a much deeper way than anybody that was healed the next morning. Those 12 men have a relationship with God that is going to shape them in ways that no one that got free lunch the day before ever will experience. And the reason for that is because Jesus let them go out into a boat by themselves, suffer a little bit, be confused, be disappointed, and ultimately showed himself to be good and right and powerful in the end. So as we, as we close this morning, I just, I, I know this is, this is for me, and I don't know if it's for anyone else, but I need to remember that because I want to be a fan. I want to show up at a Jesus show and see something awesome happen and get free food and be healed and, and it just make it awesome all the time. God is consistently saying, like, no, that's not going to help you. That's not going to make you stronger. That's not going to make you more Christ-like. That's not going to make you more mature. If you you really want to grow, if you really want to be like me, if you really want to live a life that's full, it looks a lot different than that. It's quiet. Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes it's hard. But God is faithful in that. And I want to be more like my friend who says, you know, I just need to pursue things that are uncomfortable knowing that I will find Jesus there. Instead of the exact opposite of that, which is I should pursue things that are comfortable because they're comfortable. And that looks different, I think, for everybody. I was talking with some guys this week about similar things about like, well, you know what? Maybe, what would it look like to get rid of our smartphones and all of the distractions and things that they bring into our lives? Is it wrong to have a smartphone? No. But like, would we be able to pursue Jesus more clearly if we cut out some things? We're talking about Netflix. We spend an awful lot of time watching Netflix. Is there anything wrong with that? Depends on your watch, I guess, but not really. 
But man, what else could we be doing if we weren't watching Netflix? How could we, how could we pursue Jesus? We just started volunteering at Bryan Elementary. And if I've announced this for a while. We were setting up a mentorship relationship there, and um, they're looking for just adults to come hang out with the kids on, during recess. And so if you're, you have free time during lunch, the lunch hour and you want to play with grade schoolers, um, let me know. But I was there on Friday for the first time, and if I'm honest, like, I don't want to play with grade schoolers on Friday. I just don't want to do it. I want to sit in my office and read a book. But, you know, I feel like Jesus is there. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be excited about what I find. And so the question for us is, like, what, are we followers or are we fans? Are we just part of the crowd in it for the free stuff? Or are we actually in relationship with God, willing to listen to him when he tells us to go, willing to follow him when he's confusing, when the directions are scary? And do we respond to him in faith? So, there's a couple text messages here. If you have any questions, if you have any thoughts that you want us to interact with for a few minutes, uh, text them in. This one? Let's move it. How's that? So this is a question that says, does Jesus need more fans? I don't think so. I think... I think I want Jesus to have a lot of fans. I want... You, you, ever, you ever have that, that feeling of like everybody in the room likes the band you like? You're at a concert with, some, with, with a bunch of people that are just really into whatever... Um, it feels good. And to hear like the people on the radio and the people on TV and the people on the internet as part of your tribe, that feels good. But I, I don't know that that's what the church is called to. I don't know that uh, we've ever been called to be a part of what everybody else is doing. And I think our culture is coming to a place where that's becoming more and more evident. A lot of people kind of freak out about, um, I just, Pew just came out with a study um, in 2007, like 78% of the country said they were Christians. This year it's down to 65%. And people who self-identify as Christians will be a minority in the United States by 2030, if that trend continues. And a lot of people 
think that's a terrible thing. And it, I mean, it is. If people are, don't want to be Christians, I, that, that's a sad thing. But I also think a lot of people have just decided it's not to their benefit anymore to, be call, to call themselves a Christian. What used to be true is that if you wanted to be in political office or if you wanted to be an upstanding citizen in your town, you were part of a church, and, and that was just one of the things that you did. And it's not so much of an issue anymore. And so, if the only reason you are holding on to Jesus is for whatever cultural capital it would give you, um, you were seeing a lot of people let go of that because it's not important to them. It's not important to the culture around us. And so, those numbers of, of people that are calling themselves Christian are going down. But the reality is, is people that are actually living their lives as Christians. When you, when you do surveys that dig a little deeper and say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that this book is God's Word? Are you a part of a community of people that seek to worship Him? And are you, is it important for you to share your faith with others? When you ask those questions, the percentage of people in our culture has always been really small. We've always been a minority. And if you look back through church history, when the church is in that position, God does really cool things. There's a story in, um, in Judges. It's this, uh, the story of Gideon. And Gideon has been called to uh, re- rescue his people from bondage to, uh, I forget who they were fighting at that time. But um, he has this army of like 30,000 men. And God goes, that's too many. If you win the battle with 30,000 men, you will think you are awesome. And so he says, get rid of some of them. And so he sends a bunch of them home. And God's all like, no, it's still too many. And he has them do this goofy test where they get down and they drink water. And he ends up with only 300 guys. And God's like, yeah, so now if you win, you'll know that you're not awesome. I'm awesome. And I, th- I feel like that's what God wants to see from his church. People that are sold out for the gospel, that are sold out for Christ, that are small in number because it gives God an opportunity to be awesome. And I'd love it if Kanye was a Christian. I think that's something to rejoice about anytime anyone. Professes faith in Christ, but I don't think uh, celebrities are going to um, make a big difference in the kingdom of God. This is a good question. This says, I've had seasons in my life of being a Jesus follower and seasons where I've been more of a fan, just benefiting from Jesus. What's a good strategy to consistently be in the boat as a follower instead of just showing up for the free meals? Uh, 
I think the first step is just examining your own heart, and I think the question is helpful. I mean, the, 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 once the questioner is helpful in that they have recognized that their heart wavers. But I, I would say look at the things that take you away from Christ. What are the free meals in your life that you run to? What are the, what are the storms that you flee we have this assumption, I think, that every time something bad happens, we need to get away from it. The right thing to do is to run. And I, I don't know that that's always true. I mean, in this circumstance, Jesus specifically sent them into this place. And so I would ask that question because I think the the one who's a follower is, is the one that, that goes where Jesus asks them to and then stays there in that circumstance until Jesus does something else. And so when things come up in your life that you want to flee from, ask the question, like, am I supposed to be here? Is God doing something in this place right now that I should wait for him in? I think there are situations where the right answer in the moment is to retreat. I think we see that in Scripture. But sometimes God has us in a hard place for a reason, and leaning into Him in that is a good habit to start forming. And that's kind of why we were talking about some of those silly things like like Netflix and cell phones and stuff, because like if... Like if Peter and Jesus had just met that day, there's no way Peter's going out of the boat when Jesus says, yeah, come out of the boat. Like that trust, even though it was faulty, even though he let his elephant brain get in the way, that trust was built on that relationship. Jesus had done so many little things leading up to this for Peter, and Peter found Jesus to be faithful, that he could trust in Christ for this big thing. And, and so I think sometimes trusting in Christ in little things and allowing yourself into places where you can practice that builds those faith muscles and those experiences for when bigger things come. And so I think that's a, um, just a helpful way to see trials Use the small ones. Use the, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in traffic today. Am I going to freak out and whine about it? Or can I use it to um, praise God? Can I, can I spend time in prayer? Can I, um, instead of honking my horn at the person in front of me, can I pray for them? How can you just shift your thought patterns when things are hard in little ways? And I think that helps train us to shift our thought patterns when things are hard in big ways. One of the... Uh, one of the things we do weekly here is we take communion. And we, we don't do that just because it's a church thing to do. We do it because we want the experience of the morning to lead into the bread and the cup. 
because this is a remembrance that Jesus has given us of his death. He said, take this bread, it represents my body broken for you, and drink this cup, it represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant, this new family that he's creating. And I love that it's, it's a meal, it's a communal experience for us. We do it as a body, but it's also a representation of something hard. We say, I want to follow Jesus, says, okay, this is where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. And it's a reminder for us that this is where we're going. We might not be executed as a Roman criminal, but he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And every, every uh, first century person that would have heard those words would have been a little off-put by them, because it's kind of gross to bring up instruments of execution in your sermons. But this is, this is the metaphor that Jesus gives us. I went into darkness. I, I went into brokenness. I went into death for you so that you wouldn't have to. And then Jesus, on that Sunday morning, rises from the dead. But what doesn't go away is the fact that we all grow to be more like him by pursuing the kind of life that he lived, which is sometimes a giant party with all-you-can-eat bread and fish. And sometimes it's cold and wet and dark and scary. But Jesus is in both of those places. So spend some time reflecting on those things. I know everybody's... dealing with different things. Maybe some of us are really up right now. Some of us feel like they're going through that storm and where is Jesus? I'm confused. What he wants me to do is scary. Maybe that's what you're feeling right now, but spend some time with the Lord. Remember him in the communion meal and and we're going to sing together. So, God, thanks for your word. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to sit in front of it and see how you think, see how you speak. God, help us to be aware of what you have us going through. That we would recognize that you're doing something in our lives, that you're shaping our hearts, that trials, that pain, that, that uncomfortable situations, those aren't distractions from your will. Those aren't um, those aren't the forces of evil overpowering your will. Nothing overpowers your will. God, you have appointed these things in our lives so that we would have faith, so that we would trust, so that we would recognize our weakness, and so that we would worship. And God, I just I pray for the next few minutes that we would do that, that we would worship. In Jesus' name.
You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.